monsters, madness, and magic. On the computer, and bam, we are rolling. This will, um, let's see, it's actually, it's going to air on the website, monstersmadnessandmagic.com, that I'm sure Justin is, and Justin is here, by the way. Uh, I'm here in case Daniel's computer explodes. Just by uh, a voice, but okay, yeah. I got it. It's, it's cool. I just now got this camera too. So, I mean, it, <laughs> Justin's here just as a backup. He was your contact via the email, but this interview will be appearing on the Monsters, Madness, and Magic website. It will be airing after my summer special. I host a podcast, one of, one of my podcasts that I do, a summer special that I call the Mockbuster Summer. Now, this has all started. This is in actually total homage to you guys for this. But it started actually a couple of years ago, and my first official one was last year. And it ended up, I just picked four asylum films. We do four weeks, four movies. And I just sit around and have fun with them. I get some of my friends, I want them honest. So some of them like them, some of them don't. I'm, a cha- <laughs> I'm the champion of them, so they know I like them. And that's why this will be airing after my special. Because I don't have friends. That's oh, I'm come on, man. Dude, <laughs> you, you would love them. Dude, all right, look at it this way. To prove that I am an evangelist, I just got Justin here, watched his first Asylum film, and uh, we did our first episode the other night. Wow. And, What'd you watch, Justin? Hornet. Loved it. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, and I will say, again, that's why this episode will not be airing until after the Mockbuster Summer Special, because... I don't want to contaminate <laughs> the sampling, if you will. Well, let's be honest. My lawyer's going to get involved, and you know we're going to put an injunction against the showcasing of this uh, video, and it's going to be messy. Dude, so, I, please I, let me know, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I have to give if you. Um, I didn't look up the IMDb stuff yet for Hornet, but if you happen to talk to them or speak with them, I mean, you can tell them personally that whenever I actually reviewed it on the episode, that was one of the best, definitely one of the better, but that was actually one of the best asylum films I have seen. Wow. I mean, there were portions of it. It was fun (laughs) during the uh, evisceration segment of it. No, while we were chatting it up and talking about it, I was saying the asylum, they had to be careful with this one because your Z nation was showing. And uh, there were portions of the film that were I could feel the echoes of Z Nation, which I happen to love. But uh, I, have, I have a warm place in my heart for Z Nation as well. So oh, good. I I've, I've have a bunch of stuff about that. But sure. honestly, before I even do that, mm-hmm. like, how'd you get where you are? Like, what? Not that's a really dumbass question. I apologize. Let me rephrase that. What got you started? Like movies doing what, you know, surely there was a movie you saw or like, you know, Star Wars 77, something like that. What was it? Unfortunately, you could tell from the video now that it's not, you know, just on paper. You know, these interviews are on video. I'm not very young. So I was actually in line opening night for Star Wars in 77. I was was 11 years old. and, And if that prior to that point. Just a little bit of a history. I've been making short movies. My parents gave me a Super 8 camera. I've been making films since I was seven or eight years old. And it was just a fun hobby to do. It was just, it was great. It was a great way to tell a story. And I loved every, I didn't think it was a, a, a future of it. It was just, 
a fun thing to do in the neighborhood. And, um, I, you know, after I saw Star Wars, which I was very reluctant to see because it's, it scared the bejeebies out of me as an 11-year-old kid, uh, <laughs> I... I just, it blew my head up. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And, and I, you know, years later I realized, oh, I was at the world premiere. I mean, you know, Harrison Ford, red carpet, you know, the whole nine yards because I went to that evening's perform, uh, show because um, a friend of mine's father produced it. And I didn't really, 11 year old, you don't know these things. Ooh, wow. You know, uh, I just went to school and he was a friend and, and I'd even associated until much, much, much later. It's like, oh yeah wow, I, I kind of met all these guys and did all these things. And, and, um, but whatever, I mean, you know, it, that had yeah, nothing to do with Well, I mean, yes, it's, it, it, it's a fun little trivia story, but the event itself, I remember going home and talking to my mom until midnight as an 11 year old about every little detail of this movie uh, and like an obsessive, crazy fan and realized, you know, also at the same time that I could make a living out of this. It's like, oh, this is something I could do in the future. This is something that I could, you know, look look at where I am. And it's really an interesting um, uh, experience because it it was an experience that's shared by so many filmmakers my age that had a much you know much better careers and much more successful careers. They go to this moment too of Star Wars or ET or Jaws or whatever it is, and have these, these um, uh, pivotal kind of, ex- these cathartic moments that uh, really change their perspective on things. And I had the same thing as an 11 year old. And, um, uh, you know, from that point forward, uh, you know, you're screwed. If I, you know, if, if the trajectory was to, to uh, figure out how to solve COVID, uh, that's gone. I mean, it was all now about making movies. And, um, uh, and that was the movie that kind of, you know, switched everything. So there you go. So much, well, I mean, that was, a lot of us from that era. I mean, it's the same thing. I was born in 80. So my first introduction to <laughs> your kid, <laughs> my, my first, it might explain a lot, but yeah, my first introduction to star Wars, I was like four years old. And so, you know, it, it hit me at an early age too, but I just, again, everyone has their story. I was just curious for the fact that you were at the premiere. So you you're from LA or you're from that area. Yeah, I, I'm a rarity. If you ever come to Hollywood, or, or let's just put it a different way, if you if you work in this business, the rarity is to find someone who's actually born in Los Angeles right. that is in the business. And I am that kind of a weird unicorn where um, I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I my family was not involved in the film business, um, so that is also a little bit odd as well. And um, uh, it was something I, you know, I thank God, you know, that it's out here because I got to stay out here. I mean, if it was in India, I'd be in India, you know, uh, you know, I, I couldn't, you couldn't stop my driver love to making movies of where I was going to be in it. And just thankfully it was here in, in Los Angeles. So did you like getting your start? I mean, so, so it's like, 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 were you like, I didn't, <laughs> sorry to do that, but to get, like going to get, but this is, I'm assuming before, how, when did the asylum actually start? Was it something you had always worked on or did you, you know, get a hand up over here or, you know, did a little interning for Corman and Charlie band over here? I mean, wouldn't that be nice? Boy, that would, that would have saved a lot of steps. <laughs> <laughs> now that was another thing I wanted to ask is, yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I, you know the asylum started about 25 years ago. And um, uh, and it, it started with uh, my partner, who's still my partner, 
but three of us, um, we were all fired at the same time from our jobs. Uh, they were fired for real reasons. I was fired because of probably drugs or some weird stuff. <laughs> and, um, uh, but for them, uh, they worked at Village Roadshow and they were being merged with uh, Warner Brothers had bought Village Roadshow and just mm-hmm. fired everybody. And they were part of the letting go team. And I was working at a production company and uh, doing educational videos. And um, uh, we just said, you know what, let's just do this. Let's just, let's just start our own company. And so the asylum was, was, was born, I think, in 96 um, uh, and incorporated in 97. Um, and, uh, you know, we just did whatever we could do because the goal was to make movies. Right. Um, and, um, you know, the success of the company is really just the inability to say no to opportunity um, and uh, not knowing our limits and being very passionate about making films. And not uh, caring about your limits. We do care about our movies. Uh, no, no, I was saying not caring, you not knowing about your limits and not caring about it. I've always admired yeah. it. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, we, I, you know, we surround ourselves with people who just have a, a strong passion to make films mm-hmm. and, and the success of the company is really, you know, are, you're surrounded by, you know, uh, by people who just love making movies. And so, uh, on every step of the way. And I always look at the company as a teaching hospital, um, where, you know, we just bring in people for, you know, I, the way it was kind of designed, it was really just meant for people to stick around for about three months and then move on. But we have people that have made 30, 40, 50, 60 movies, you know, uh, with us and, uh, we can't get rid of them. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we digress. Um, with, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot of moving parts, but, right. uh, um, that's, it, yeah, it started, a long time ago. <laughs> I was going to ask you, so and this kind of jumps ahead, but I did want to, since I'm thinking about it, let me go ahead and ask. So you mentioned that you bring in a lot of talent, you know, just maybe not necessarily seasoned talent. So did you always intend to be, I don't know if you're a wrestling fan, but I mean, did you always intend to be like Ring of Honor or OVW? I mean, was, was that like an intention? What did you call a clinic or anything? Or did it just kind of organically turn into that? Um, well, we can never compete with the big studios. And so, uh, good. you know, yeah, good. I, I mean, mean, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, sincerely, I, and, that's one of the, and I hearing about I mean, we found our own niche and we really enjoy that niche, uh, and continue to enjoy that niche. Um, and, and so I, I mean, I love surrounding myself with people that are, are just as passionate, uh, more talented, uh, that uh, really enjoy the process. And we haven't really lost that as far as, you know, we're not bored of what we do. We, we're not making widgets. We, we, we try and make a film that's entertaining to us. Um, uh, clearly our sensibilities are different than big studios, um, but that's fine because we enjoy what we're making. And, um, and sometimes we, we, it fails, sometimes it, it succeeds, but uh, for the most part, we all go in it very earnestly. And, um, and so do we intend for, you know, Part of the workflow of, of how we progressed was we were a distribution company first. Uh, we okay. distributed art house movies. And believe it or not, <laughs> we were young. We needed the money. Um, so, uh, and then that evolved into very specific genre films. And so we had this output deal with a, with a uh, company called Hollywood Video. They were the number two video mm-hmm. chain in the nation. And when that kind of was... Uh, ebbing instead of flowing we we put we hooked up another deal with blockbuster imagine the perfect video store 
It would have a great selection, right? Right. Over 10,000 videos. Three evening rentals, so no rush, no hassle. Fast checkout. 24-hour quick drop return. Open late every night. Well, the perfect video store. Welcome to Blockbuster Video. Is popping up all over the country. There's one near you. the number one video chain in the nation. And we worked out an output deal where we would release and find movies on once a month basis. Well, that didn't work out very well because, we, because everyone would outbid us. And so we'd always end up getting kind of crappier films or small, really small films. They just didn't perform well. So, and not exactly, I would say it like this, they, not exactly the, the, the profile film that they wanted over at Blockbuster. Mm-hmm. So we started talking to them and go, look, what we could do for the same amount of money of our MG, our minimum guarantee of what we're going to get for on the shelf, we will um, produce a film that you want, specifically how you want it. And, uh, and they went, great, this is what we want. And so we would make that movie and we kind of had an output deal of once a month. We would, you know, we'd still have that same deal of making a film once uh, or acquiring a film once a month, but rather than acquiring a film from filmmakers, we produce those films. And that did so well that we did two films a month, you know, within about a year of that time. And that continues to this day. Uh, we still make about two films a month. Um, and, uh, you know, that model, obviously, Blockbuster doesn't, uh, you know, uh, factor in anymore. But, you know, we have other opportunities in other, in, in, in other places where people are buying that stuff. And then we have our... our on top of those films, we do films for the networks, uh, for, you know, different genres and mm-hmm. different people who want different things. But for the most part, we still make these really small Hornet movies, genre, very genre films uh, for the, this video on demand market, which doesn't really exist anymore, which is why we have to make right. them for a lot less money. Um, but we still have buyers that want that stuff. Yeah, your output is godly. I mean, it's one of the, I've even mentioned it, <laughs> I mentioned it in our episode the other night talking about it, said, I mean, y'all have an output to make Charlie Band stand back, scratch his head, go, man. So, I mean, you're up to two films a month. Now, is this all in-house? In a lot of your films, I can recognize a lot of the same sets, but do y'all have, is it just, I imagine you've got like four or five splinter teams that go off and do stuff or do you? Yeah, we have splinter teams. Uh, You know, the corporate side of it, we have about 25 employees. Uh, And, and I feel really lucky and blessed to have these people as far as not only just as employees, but as friends. I mean, they, we've, we've known for years, you know, through marriages, through kids. I mean, you know, we're kind of growing up as family, which is amazing. Um, and some leave, some move out of state, but they still keep in contact. Uh, and then during this COVID, you know, uh, problem, uh, we haven't had to let go of anybody. We haven't had to furlough anybody. Uh, oh, we kept the doors open, even though the doors are kind of closed because the whole building's closed. Um, this is uh, a virtual set of, of my office. It's not, I'm not really there at the office. Um, Dang, and- I just noticed. Cool. <laughs> um so, you know, but, but we've been able to keep the employees, um, you know, employed, which is, which I feel really happy about. I mean, that's a great that's thing. Good. I mean, and, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, I kind of, yeah. <laughs> I should, well, I should have went ahead and mentioned this, but I don't know if I, you, and I, <laughs> it's not a Freudian slip, but if I slip up, these are terms of endearment. 
So please, God, I try my best. I'm being completely respectful, but if, you know, try my best if I mention shitty movie Sunday in the same sentence that I talk about watching an asylum flick. Please, <laughs> you know what? Comes from 20 some odd years of habit because it started when I was a kid on a, and actually a late, say kid, I was like 18, 19, dating my fiance at the time. And it was with my buddy, my drummer. We were in thrash metal band and sitting there watching horror movies all night and all day, playing music. And then on Sundays, we're being lazy as hell. We sit around and watch Subspecies and Shadow Zone, Puppet Master, and stuff like that. We called it Shitty Movie Sunday. It is what it is. And then, but you know what? Uh, uh, everyone has that. And that's great. I, 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 I endorse that. I love it. I think it's wonderful that you have this experience. And yes, I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, I guess, a little insulting, but not, you know, here, here's, 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 here's the thing what I'll say. Please don't be insulting. No, 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 no. Here's the thing I will say. I was reading in Los Angeles Magazine about 15 years ago. It was a cover profile of Jerry Bruckheimer. Okay. Jerry Bruckheimer has produced some of the greatest, biggest, badass, you know, a hundred, $200 million movie, you know, spectaculars you've ever seen. Okay. I mean, if you haven't seen a Jerry Bruckheimer film, Simpson film, go see it. They're just amazing and big. And these are big studio staples. Okay. Temples. And the first sentence on there was Schlockmeister Jerry Bruckheimer. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, Oh my God, if you could just, you know, just take him, you know, cut him down to size on the first sentence of being Schlockmeister, I'm pr feeling pretty good because <laughs> here I'm making films at $100,000, not $100 million. And people think I make twice a month. You know, twice a month. People think I make schlocky films sometimes. Okay, that's great. That's fine. I'm in the same league as Jerry Bruckheimer, who, you know, is, is trying a lot harder than I am, maybe. Um, maybe not. I have no idea. Um, but it's, it's, it's all, I, I I'll say this and, and as a snob, uh, <laughs> self-proclaimed snob, when I first started out and you're talking about those first early days, I definitely saw myself doing star Wars, doing the hundred million dollar, doing the studio films, doing these big things. And my go-to movie of, I hope to God, I never make, I never, ever make is uh, it's alive by Larry Cohen. I'm like that guy you know, what a crappy filmmaker, what a lousy <laughs> film. The, the puppet was rubber. It was like, you know, this guy is just phoning it in. This is, you know, horrible. Fast forward in college, I am dating his daughter. Okay? <laughs> and, and I got to know Larry and I, my world changed. And, you know, just how he approached movies and how independent he was and how he was doing things on his term. And this is like, uh, you know, really aggressive type A personality New Yorker too. So he had, his stories were the most colorful, the most amazing stories that you've ever heard. And I'm like, I, you know, we didn't, we lasted about a year, our relationship, but my relationship with Larry lasted even a little bit longer because he was such an inspiration, such a mentor, such an idol in, in navigating through the space um, that I was entering. And, you know, I just, and, and I've, I, I say that story because I've said the story before about it's alive because I, I say on the flip side of it, I hope I, I ever, you know, that's like the goal is to get to it's alive, you know, to have that kind of popularity, that kind of, you know, um, you know, uh, just maverick independence. And, you know, I mean, you see with Sharknado and some of the other stuff too, but it's still in my mind never even approaches, you know, where it's alive was. And, and it just, it was so inspired. So, and look, people think, you know, pretty crappy, you know, of the films he's made, but I just, I'm like, ah, you know, Larry Cohen and, and Roger Corman and all these guys are just, 
so amazing to me mm-hmm. and so and are, are on a pedestal that I will never be able to climb. I mean, it's, it's just way too high. And, it, you know, and, and the idea, I, you know, I had lunch with Roger Corman a few years ago and I was like, uh, you know, the whole time shaking. Cause it's like, they did this, they did this by themselves. I have partners, you know, um, that are smarter than me and better than me in so many other ways and really can navigate the space better. And, you know, they did it by themselves, you know, Larry and Roger and uh, Sam Arkoff and all these guys. It's just, you know, no, it's it, to be even in that same family, you know, of B movies, independent films. I'm like, I, 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 it shocks me to be invited to that party, you know, like, Y'all are the standard bearers. I've mentioned this before. I did this in my Mockbuster summer last year. We, I usually spend an episode zero that ends up bleeding over into other episodes because I can't shut up about asylum films and stuff. But it's always, even if, I'll, even if I critique one part of the film, I still try to focus on things positive and stuff. And it usually ends up becoming, there's more and more shit that I start talking about positive this and positive that. <laughs> But as far as the inspiration stuff, though, no, you absolutely deserve to be at the table. Y'all are the standard bearers because, as I said, growing up, it was full moon. Well, well you don't have it anymore. I mean, now exactly. actually, you, you kind of do in a sense because everyone has an iPhone. Everyone can make a movie. But it's a little bit more difficult to get distributed. Although, look, my kids, you know, get, you know, independent movies now on, on their phones because the friends made them, you know. So maybe that's – I don't know. It's It's all – weird <laughs> but so how do y'all pick the films like are you you are you are the main guy you are the name above all names on the imdb list so i mean i'm assuming when you first started your company they were all your movies but is that how you do it now you just like i'm gonna make this one i'm gonna make that one or do you just again do you call in people be like what film do you want to make go make it like that how do you no it's, it's a lot, we're, we're a lot more evil than that uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Ted Turner you know, or more of the Vince McMahon? Well, looking for a wrestling analogy. I'll, I'll tell you, um, because it's a model that you think is so easy, and yet everyone I talked to were the only ones that kind of follow this model. Um, which is, out of the three hundred movies that we've made, we've never lost a dime. And the and reason, and, and the but it's so simple. Here's the secret to it all. You know how much you're going to make. Don't make it for more than that. That's it. <laughs> and, and, and how do you know how much you're going to make it for? Well, we're, as I said, we're a distribution company and a production company, which makes us a studio. That's kind of the loose definition of a studio. It's not a production company that's making movies. You're, you're doing everything, you know, in the studio. And so you have what you basically, you know, I'll get a call. My partner does all the sales and everything else. So he'll go, okay, I just made a sale to Japan. They want to do uh, a show about sharks in a, in a tornado. Uh, what do you got? And then we have a development team that we're going to put, you know, these ideas together. We, we come up with a bunch of ideas. They, Japan picks the, the best one. Well, we know how much Japan is going to pay. So we're not going to make it for more than that. So now the, the idea is, okay, Japan's going to pay this. Let's call Germany up and see how much they're going to pay for sharks in the tornado. All right, we know how much Germany's going to pay. All right, now we, how much is Italy going to pay? How much is Russia going to pay? How much, and then she put it all together and go, okay, here's your budget. Okay, don't make it for more than this because if you make more than this, we're all out of a job. And, um, and so we have to keep it at this level so that we, we're not out of a job. Um, 
And that's why you have some budgets that are higher than others because you know you have buyers that are going to put more money into some than than the others. And that's that's it. That's the secret. Um, oh yeah, just just like that, just that easy. <laughs> yes, because because you're because you avoid a few things. You avoid a few things of people pitching to you and and relying on your own artistic talent. So someone comes in, they go, "I have the greatest story in the world. This is what this is the story." I'm like, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> I don't care if this, if, if it's an Academy Award winner, I don't care about anything about your terrific, wonderful story. <laughs> Go. Okay. Because all I care about is when Japan calls and says they want a story about a shark in a tornado, we're going to go engage, you know, the, uh, the writers to get the best plot possible, to write the best script possible, to make the most engaging story possible. But I don't start with, Hey, Japan, I have a story about sharks <laughs> in a tornado. They're going to look at us like, what the hell are you talking about? Because they know their buyers. They know who their audience is. I don't know who their audience is. They know who their audience is. So they know that, you know, their audience is going to pay top dollar for a certain genre. Well, they're going to turn around to us and, and, and go, Asylum, could you make that? Um, and so, and, and, and again, it sounds like widgets. It sounds like we're not, you know, really catering to the audience. But no, that's our marching orders. Go make Shards in a Tornado and make sure it's really good and really entertaining and has a lot of fun. And, you know, go, go off and, and do it. No one's telling us we can't make a great film. They're just saying you can't do a zombie film today because today you're being, you know, bought and paid for by the guys that want uh, sharks and tornado. So is, um, is that how the mockbuster kind of came to be, for lack of a better term, but is that how it came to be? Like Japan would call and you don't have to name names. I'm not even asking specifics, but let's say, you know, can you make me, a, I want a movie that's like Transformers, but just... I don't want to be sued by Hasbro because yeah. I've been, I've I've been there's a lot of that. and I've, of that. I've been told, you know, it's like, I want it to sound like this. And they would give me a Hans Zimmer score. And they said, I want it to sound like close to this as possible without being sued. You thrasher, but Hans Zimmer ask. Okay. Um, all right. So, uh, so the, the short answer is yes and no. Um, I mean, you know, we have shorthand language now that we've, you know, we've been around for a hundred years. I mean, production companies last for about two or three years. We've been here for 25. So it's like, you know, we have longevity and we have long-term relationships. So it's just a question of, hey, we, we saw that Transformers is coming out. You know, could, you know, what do you have that's a, a robot that's converting? You know, we're, we'll make it a mockbuster. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or we'll come to, uh, you know, we'll have, well, when people used to have dinner meetings, Oh, that was so long ago. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll have dinner with, with some, you know, some of the buyers during the markets and, and, and they'll ask us, you know, well, what's coming out in America? You know, what, what, you know, what are the big tentpole films? It's like, we'll tell them it's like, okay, great. Let's do something along those lines. Um, mockbusters don't necessarily define uh, a lot of our slates, maybe about 30% at this point, uh, yeah, but you're right. Uh, but it's enough and where people, it, it, it's funny, you talk to certain people, it's like the asylum's known for uh, low budget horror. There's a group of people that says, no, asylum's known for uh, mockbusters. No, asylum's known for Sharknado. Asylum's known for Z Nation. Or there's a group of people that sounds known for being doing uh, female thrillers for Lifetime because we made about 50 of those. Or Asylum's known for doing Christmas movies, um, which we do a whole bunch of Christmas movies um, for Ion and TV One and Hallmark and Lifetime and, you know, whatever. And, you know, because we're a studio, we'll do multiple genres. So it depends where what your lane is. You know, we're known for that one thing. So your your audience may just know us for 
cheesy, shitty, you know, B-movie uh, horror films or creature films or Sharknado or whatever. No, but what I like about it is, and you said earlier that, you know, you're not MGM or anything big and if you're not, and I love that as a Full Moon fan, but this is another reason why I love why y'all are the way you are is because a lot of your story subject matter, you don't have to water it down. You don't have to give it to me. You don't have to pass it through all kinds of focus group testing or stuff like that. And what's really sad nowadays is that you have a cool story and you just freaking do it. You just go there. You don't have to, you know, we got aliens that are, might be abducting people might be, well, yeah, they might be. I don't know. They didn't really tell us in the movie, but you know what else they're going to do? Zombies. What a, a big ass robot over here. Put them all in a movie. Bam. What do we call it? Hornet. And I, no one does that. And it's the kid in me that I, it's, it almost feels like a comic book. And uh, that's what, so yeah, it's the Mott Westerners. Now, I didn't know about that y'all actually did the Christmas films because I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to find out how to get in because I'm a, I'm a composer. I mean, you saw like my taglines of producer, but that's it, mostly like an audio drama and uh, for radio and then trying to do composing and stuff. And I was like, I think I'm going to try to do some Christmas music for movies. I didn't know that y'all actually did a lot of the Christmas movies too, but because uh, I was sitting there scouring around. That is freaking cool. I, didn't, I haven't seen any of your life. Well, I don't think I've seen any of your Lifetime thrillers. I've mainly been relegated to the mockbuster action and a couple of horror films. Who does your box art? Uh, we have the same guys been doing this for over 10 years. Uh, his name is Mike. He just moved to uh, Arizona, back east, New Yorker guy. Uh, and um, you know, a lot of the success on the show is marketing. He does very, very well. My partner, David Ramawi, really is, is a marketing genius, I think, on how he does things in the, in the mockbusters and, and the titling and, and everything else. And, and a lot of it is successful because of the titling. So um, uh, it's, uh, I mean, Sharknado. I wanted that change, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it, he um, just, if, <laughs> if you pay him 25 cents and a corn dog, give him an extra corn dog. One of my uh, criteria for my, my show that I do, my podcast, The Bottom Rack, is, and that's where it got the name. And honestly, I kind of owe y'all for the name of my, my show that I do anyway, is that I would go to Walmart and I, you keep your films that's on the top shelf or whatever, Oscar bait, you bullshit like that. It, it is what it is. I reach for the bottom shelf and go for those films because the good ones you find, the good AAA films, well, of course they're good. They're AAA and a lot of those so awful and awful. And you have to, a lot of times you got to wade through a lot of crap and a lot of turds on the bottom shelf. But man, when you find those gems, when you find the good ones, that it just makes it that much more worth it. And so that's the name of my show is a bottom rack. Well, my criteria when I rate a show, because I do not specifically set out to shit on a film. That was the old cynical edge Lord me from back now. I'm just a jaded, grumpy old man. Now the new me, I grade a film on two criteria. One, does the movie deliver what the box art shows me? <laughs> Cause I'm a child of the eighties. And two was the film enjoyable. That ultimate because Ben Franklin said, there's no greater film, there's, <laughs> there's no greater thief than a bad book. And I would say lesser declensions of that would be a bad film or a bad game. 
that's there. I think he did say something about being about films that Ben Franklin you know, <laughs> did. He may have the internet has rotary going through a skull so they yeah. can see the last images through the eyeballs. That uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, you know, and, and thank thank you for the many compliments. Um, the um, like I said, we you know, we, we make a very specific film. We make, you know, for the most part, these are genre films and that's different than a studio film. Uh, studio films will spend a lot of time on boring exposition <laughs> and, and character development, which is a waste of time. Um, and, uh, you know, I, but, but I, I will say it like this and, and, and not, not, you know, not to throw it away, you know, they have their, their, their place. Um, but, you know, when we get a script, an asylum script, and the difference in, in, in with the asylum script and the genre, uh, a genre script is, I will, you know, basically this is why this is why I tell students when I go and, and lecture. I say, look, take you write your script, spend a year on it, do your your three acts on you know on it, uh, make sure it's great, really rewrite. No one wants to read a first draft, so you know, make sure you have a lot of people read it and get and and it, and it makes sense and and whatnot, and then when you're finally ready. Uh, to send it to the asylum and or you know to make that genre film take act one and take act two and throw it away because an asylum film starts at act three when the monster's already chasing them when the when the when the heroes are fucked when you know are you are screwed and you are just like you have to deal with the with the tension the drama and the suspense and so you'll always kind of see in the teaser you know something happening um that um you know, that, that really forces what the story is going to be in the next five minutes. And, um, and we don't let it go. I mean, we let it go, you know, we, we, we hit really hard on, um, uh, on the genre. Uh, and we make sure you're going to get the genre film, be it some action, creature, or monster, whatever it is. Some of your films, like the box art, reels me in. Mm-hmm. And I wish that the movie I had watched was what I saw in the box art. And then some films actually deliver like the box art shows me what I have, and it's like, wow, we actually got that. We got into that discussion last year about the Terminators, the box art on the Terminators. Yeah, everybody else in the group was like, I want that movie that's on the cover. And I was like, I mean, I do too, but look, this was in the movie. It just, it is what it is. Different interpretations for different people. But what happened with Z Nation? Because my the way I try to explain Z Nation, we had a nice little lengthy discussion about this the other night in our episode, is that I love Z Nation. And when I tell people the asylum made it, people who know the asylum are like, oh see it. And I was like, no, it is. Somewhere along the way in Z Nation, somebody got to really enjoying that show. Now <laughs> what how did that come to be? I mean, that was Well, Z Nation was uh a thank you from sci-fi uh, after Sharknado. We had okay. talked about doing uh, series work for them, and they had always been very reluctant. And Sharknado hit, and it hit big. Yeah, and I went to and the theater so, and saw it. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Uh, and uh, and so basically, the the head of sci-fi at the time, a guy named Dave Howe, said, um, "Well, you know, we'll give you a series to do." Uh, and it's basically, it's a series based on one of the movies that we did for sci-fi that also was a pretty big ratings hit. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so you're, oh my God, why can't, it started Ving Rhames. It's a zombie film uh, show. I can't think of the name of it right now. I'll, I'll look it up. Boy, my computer's going nuts. Um, Justin, if you're listening, look that bad boy up. I want to see it. 
Gotcha. Like Zombie Night uh, or uh, why can't I think of it? I was just we're just doing some uh, art for them too. Um, all right. Well, we'll I, I should be a lot more prepared uh, to know what my movies. Man, it's fine. Dude, keep going. I don't remember any of my movies. Um, all right. So we did this Ving Rain film that did uh, Zombie Apocalypse. That was it. Uh, that did really, really well for them. And so uh, the writer of that happened to be an executive over at Sci-Fi at, at the time, and he wasn't anymore, but he was freelancing, and he, and he was trying to pitch this as a story. And basically they said, hey, let's get the asylums to do it. Bottom line, they gave us a 13-episode, no pilot necessary, go-to-the-races TV <laughs> series, uh, which we developed uh, from that. And, um, I mean, like I said, no matter what you think, of the asylum, you know, we're, we're going to show up to the party the way you want us to, to attend. If we're, if we're going to a high class affair, we're going to be in Texas. If you, if you want us to go to a beach party, we're going to be in beach gear. I mean, and so if you want us to make, if we're, if we have the budget and we're just making a schlocky, you know, little low budget film, that's what we're going to make. If we have a higher budget film, we're going to make a higher budget film. And I, it's, I don't think it's great mystery for me where I sit. It's like, yes, if we have enough money, we will do X, Y, and Z. When we do the, the Hallmark shows, they look like Hallmark shows. It doesn't look like the asylum cheaped out and did, you know, sock puppets, you know, Oh, I love you. I love you. No, you're <laughs> never cheap. Your films yeah. are never cheap. We it, put no all matter, the money on the screen. We put all the <laughs> no money. matter how much people, any of my friends or even me, no matter how much we might shit on that film, it always <laughs> looks good and sounds good. And nobody can argue with that. So, I mean, well, thanks. I mean, we, I mean, like I said, people are, you know, invested in it. And so we surrounded that, that show. It was our first series, obviously. And we loved it. I mean, we, yeah, you know, and the I show runner, you know, the, the showrunner um, and he put together a great team. I, I have to give it to Carl Schaefer, who really put together a great team of writers, a great team of uh, people. The, the actors really looked out. Um, you know, uh, the main guy, Murphy was our stage manager at, at the asylum. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I had a friend, Michael Welch, who, uh, was Mac in the first season that uh-huh. um, he was in Twilight, but I we were I basically called him and said I begged him to be. In. I'm like, look, just please, for the love of God, you know, I don't have enough money to pay you, but you know, it's it's such a great show, and and uh, you know, do this first season or or whatever, and he did, and thank God. Uh, Tom Everett Scott came in. He was the uh-huh. friend of the director. Um, it, you know, it just was all these things kind of just we got the right cast, you know. And, and the rest were, I think, auditions. We couldn't understand why Kalita Smith was auditioning. Uh, although knowing a little bit, she plays Warren. About her oh, yeah, she days. was great. She was great, but she had just done comedies for the most part. So really? I, I understand why she wanted to, you know, she was now the lead of, a, of, you know, an action lead hero for network, even though she had done so much work ahead of time, you know, prior to that, but it was all in comedy. So, and she would. Wow. Well, I love her to death. So she's a you know, badass. So I, I would never badass. peg her for comedy because she was a total badass in that show. Hey, you look up her. She was uh, on the Bernie Mac show for years. She was Bernie's wife. Um, she, Holy shit. Yes, she was. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she, her pedigree is comedy and she's a stand wow. too. So uh, on top of it all. Um, and, and, and it just, we got, we got so lucky with, with this cast and then the writers and then, and then it just felt like family and it was really good. And then, and then we got a spinoff show from that uh, mm-hmm. Black Summer. Um, it's in my queue. I haven't been able to watch it yet because I've heard oh, it's serious though, but I, I it, haven't had yeah, time I mean, to get to it to binge it. I'll say, I'll say this, the, 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 right, the creative director um, slash showrunner-ish um, uh-huh. 
uh, Carl, well, Carl uh, was still working on season five of Z Nation. So when we, but when we were shooting uh, Black Summer, and the real creative juices on this was a guy named John Hines, and John, John directs some of my favorite episodes of Z Nation. But he's a real serious action guy. You know, Z Nation has a lot of comedy in it and a lot mm-hmm. of really kind of cheesy, cheeky stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't go for that stuff. I mean, he that you know, if you see his episodes, they were always kind of what we wanted Z Nation from the get-go, a little bit less comedy and stuff. And, and the stuff was just so jaw-droppingly, I couldn't stop watching. You know, episode two of season two is is, is in my top five television it, of all time. I, I mean, was fixing to, to ask it, you about that it, one. And that's a John show. That's John's specialty. It's just nonstop, like, amazing. And so when we went to do Black Summer, he was an integral component to that. Not only does Netflix, did Netflix want that to be, but John basically came on and said, look, I'm not doing fucking comedy. <laughs> you know, I'm going to, you know, if you want me, my specialty is, is blood, guts, drama, um, and action, nonstop action. And we're like, great. <laughs> you know, my, my problem is, is that I was very concerned that we wouldn't get the same audience that goes from Z Nation to Black Summer because Black Summer is such a very heavy action, nonstop, visceral. Really? Uh, oh, it's it's some of the best. T- it's it's just this guy unleashed for eight episodes, and Dude. you can't stop watching it. I mean, it's just, it, you just can't stop watching it. And, and but it's not the same tone. It definitely is not. But even Z Nation now, because I'm going to eventually be doing like a full bore Z Nation podcast maybe even just a full episode by episode coverage of it but i could tell like when it started out i could feel the asylum's humor just some of that cheeky humor that was in there and it's and if you like the asylum's like oh there it is okay stuff but something about it it would still get serious and then like i had said before somewhere along the way somebody really started taking like not to imply they never did but somebody along the way really started getting invested in that story because and season two, episode two, or one, the the friggin' gunfight at the hotel, yeah. and it's not. It looks like a damn John Woo movie. I'm telling people yep. that is some of the best cinematography, the best action sequences I have seen. You can take that episode, and I swear to God, you can hold it up next to like Face Off. You could put it up next to Hard Target. I, I wanted like Bad Boys, and it I it holds the, up. Sci-fi to put it up for an Emmy. I was just like, this is Emmy worthy. I said, if this wasn't on basic cable, this would be Emmy worthy. Um, it certainly was. Everything was on. But, and look, I say it as a fanboy because I, I, you know, my involvement, I read the scripts, I made notes, I visited the set, I did whatever. But, you know, really the day-to-day was really them shooting in, in Spokane, uh, Washington. And, you know, I was far removed. I'm making two films a month. I'm doing all this other stuff. So, you know, I set it up and kind of forget about it. Whatever. I see the dailies and, and the rough cuts. But um, but it's all, you know, it, it, but as a, I, I kept saying this, like, if I wasn't producing the show, I would be watching the show because it is just engaging. It's fun. Um, the comedy was definitely more the showrunner and a little bit of sci-fi. I think if it was just left to us, we would have made a lot more serious show, which is why Black Summer feels a little more at home for the assignment because that is, is on point for the genre. I mean, when you think of zombie, you don't think of funny. Um, and uh, But I, it's so clever, you know, what they were able to do with, like, um, radioactive zombies you know you're like yeah i guess that would happen nobody else could do it the walking dead i had said it last night it took (laughs) the walking dead three freaking seasons to get to cannibalism you guys did it in the in the first half of the first season it 
the pacing was so on point that I was willing to forgive the cheeky humor. And, and in some case, I expected it because it was the asylum. But then, what was it? There was a couple of times, I actually noticed it, the pacing of your show was so tense because you have the Snyder zombies. There's two types of zombies, the Romero slow shambling zombies and then the Zack yeah. Snyder hauling ass zombies. Well, right. in Z Nation, they hauled ass unless it was part of a comedy gag or something. So there was a couple of episodes. I mean, it was. It seemed like it was just nonstop action. I didn't realize that until they go to the episode where they're having the um, the target practicing the turkey shoot episode, and it, it was just them at the barn and like a whole bunch oh, of survivors yeah. had gathered for like a fair, <laughs> and that was one of the most fun episodes in a TV series. Honestly, is because I didn't even realize how tense the action had been until you, you gave us a break episode. We haven't had like a fun break episode since like the early nineties or in the eighties TV series, like the a team or Hunter or a sitcom that'll do the BS flashback episodes where they reminisce about funny stuff. Like that's what that episode felt like. And it just, again, you guys accomplished in one season more than it took the walking dead three seasons to do. Now I like the walking dead. But I actually went back to rewatch Z Nation. So I mean, if that says anything, it just- I uh, I always called us uh, the Running Dead. You know, that was nice. When people say, "What's the difference?" I'm like, "We're the Running Dead. They're the Walking Radioactive dead. Zombie." Y'all had a zombie tornado before they did. So well, I mean, that's true too. We did. Uh, but that was that was an homage to uh, Sharknado. <laughs> oh, it's, and, and you feel again the humor as cheeky as it can get. It still belongs there. It's is the yeah, I, they, they were very successful in creating this world that you go, yeah, okay, it, it, it may be far-fetched and weird. Um, That's what's but, fun about it. You know, but there's, and there's a lot of fun in it. I, like I said, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. I'm a big fan of Black Summer. I really want you to watch that. I think it's, I, I'm so impressed with, with how they put that together. And, and John is so micromanaged you know, manage that whole thing with the, with, you know, down to like, you, you're, you're in the, in the, um, doing the post work and, and you're on the, looking at the big screens, like, okay, bring that kick light down by 10 degree. Okay. Now add this and take away that color there. It's like, dude, you know, uh, I mean, he's, he's in it and they're doing season two now. So, uh, Oh, sweet. Uh, I mean, it got postponed because of uh, COVID, but I think they're back into it. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they, I'm the last person they're going to tell, but, um, uh, <laughs> it, 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 I, I can't wait to see it. You know, uh, it's just a lot of fun. So what do you have coming up? I mean, well, other than the two movies a month, you got anything exciting that you, that you'd want to tell me or, you know, anybody else that's going to be listening the four or five people, maybe, you know, it's, it's one of the things the industry changes all the time and uh, the virus certainly helps change it even faster and we're in weirder places. Um, we started we kind of poo-pooed it about three years ago, the AVOD service, which is advertising video on demand, which is basically for anyone under 30, uh, uh, because this is an education I had to have, you don't want to spend $15 for HBO or right. you know, Dish or whatever. You're going to get the free services. You're going to get uh, Roku and Tubi and Vudu and Pluto and all these guys because it's free. Well, we happen to start channels on all those services and we happen to be like the top 10 channels on these services. I mean, we're the branding of the asylum really appeals to kids under 30. Thank God. Um, Cause that's kind of what's keeping everybody employed while, you know, we're not making movies. And, and so 
you know, we're trying to figure out ways of making these channels a little bit more um, exciting and productive and, and programming better, maybe original content uh, and everything else. So if you go to any of those uh, platforms, we exist and, and please watch because it's, uh, it's, all, it's pretty much our library titles for the most part. Um, you know, it's 300 films on there. Uh, right. <laughs> Jesus. You know, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but they do really, really well. So feeding that beast is one thing. We still are, are making films for, uh, you know, our two movies a month. We're still, you know, t- the networks are a little bit more difficult because, uh, you know, you have to navigate this kind of path to make sure that uh, um, the shows we're making are safe and, and uh, no one wants to be, you know, in a persis- position where you're going to make, you know, a show and, and get people infected and sick and, and whatnot. So, you know, we're still, like everybody else in this business, trying to figure out the best way to do it um, and keep everyone healthy. Uh, what it comes down to. But um, uh, the good news is, is that unlike everyone else in the business, our footprint is very, very small. I usually have a hundred people on the set. We, you know, we've made a few films during the COVID um, during this whole process, but our crew is about 10 people. You know, our cast, we bring it down to about four people, you know? So it's, it's like, we're still under 10, um, you know, uh, and we, we do all the social distancing and the, you know, all the testing and whatnot. But it's challenging, and these network shows require a lot more, you know, people, uh, you know. So we're still, you know, we don't want to do anything that's not that's not going to be safe, um, and that's the challenge that we have right now. So uh, and we'll what see would, what happens. What would you tell? All right, my son's a filmmaker. I'm a producer. I'm, one day I'm gonna make a film, but until that time, I just write audio drama. I basically do the movie in your mind thing until I actually make the film. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a composer. What would you give to people watching? Because I'm, I know I'm not alone. There are people that watch your movies and just get inspired. The simple fact that somebody like you has done what you have done. What would you tell them like how to get to make their mark? What piece of advice would you give them? Me. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, everyone's journey is very different. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I had a journey and I was very lucky and things kind of fell in line the way they were supposed to fall in line. Um, at, at the beginning of my uh, job life, the opportunities were, you know, right and left. And I chose right. If I chose left, something else would have happened. Um, and those opportunities are still happening to this day, but you know, it's much more, it's a bigger step back then, I think, because, you know, I could have gone in the direction of the studio um, and maybe I would have made a film. Maybe not. You know, I have friends that are in the studio system that have never made a film, you know, um, but, you know, write, ghost write or do whatever um, and don't have the career that I have. I mean, I, I'm not, you know, living high on the hog, but I'm not suffering either. And I, I, I you know, I, I, I'm very grateful for the position I'm in and the fact that someone wants to even talk to me is bizarre. Um, and I'm grateful for that experience, too, you know, because. I, I, I get it looking from your angle and, and, and whatnot, what are the things, but those, those in, intangible elements you can't really rely on. So it's like, how do you make those opportunities present themselves? Well, um, for me, uh, when I was in college, um, and I, I told you I didn't have any um, um, family in the business, mm-hmm. uh, well, I started a magazine, a monthly magazine that – 
sadly went from just my college to worldwide and thousands of copies each month became my life. So that's why it's sadly, but what it was, what, what it was called was take one and it was for uh, independent, well, really college filmmakers. But what it was really for was that I got to meet Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Capra and Ned Tannen and all these people in the business that were like icons in the business back then and, and introduce myself to them so that when I graduated, I could show them my senior thesis film and, and make those connections because this business is all about connections. Um, it is never about the resume. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I made those, they didn't help me um, necessarily. Uh, a more creative person would have like showed them something like was amazing. Uh, <laughs> and they would have went, Oh my God, you're the guy for me. Um, <laughs> but I showed them my, my senior thesis film. They went, Oh, 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 thanks. Um, uh, which is, which, but that's fine. You know, I, I still, I still forged, uh, you know, my way in there and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And it didn't work there, but, but here I am now, you know, 300 films later with my own company, um, making independent films, uh, doing what I love to do, um, which is a blessing, you know. Um, okay, so it's, you know, it's putting yourself out there and getting yourself in the, uh, invited to the table uh, as much as you can going to seminars, going to uh, conventions, going to uh, film festivals, meeting people, shaking it. Well, don't shake hands anymore, but you know, this <laughs> bump or something, elbow bump. Um, asking people, do you know people who know people? It is all about relationships, period, end of sentence. It's, that's it, you know? So you have to put yourself out there all the time uh, and sell yourself. I have actor friends that are famous freaking actors that play this game in a way that I just, I, I'm dumb. I'm like, why are you doing that? You know, why do you, why do you need a clip for a reel? You know, I mean, clearly everyone knows who you are. It's like, because I need to put myself out there all the time. I need, you know, I need to make sure that people don't forget me, you know, cause you know, three months you're, you're gone, you're forgotten. You know? <laughs> so you're telling me that if I start a podcast based on me watching movies off of the bottom shelf, yeah. One day I might get the head honcho from the asylum on the other side of the camp. No, 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 I could no, no, use my podcast. You got me. You didn't get the head honcho. I just, oh, okay. Where's she at? Yeah. She's, Where, uh, where's the missus at? The, the head I get you. <laughs> calling me for dinner at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> your, your secret is safe with me. I'm going to try that with the podcast. Now, I've, out of all the people I have asked, I, I appreciate your candor and I appreciate it's about the connections. That's, I go to. I've been to HauntCon and I give like ser sermons. <laughs> I'd give a sermon if I could. So, no, I've I've given like lectures and stuff, trying to meet people. But I really appreciate you at least telling me <laughs> because I feel like, oh well, I don't, I just went. I mean, you you know this and this guy and this guy, but yeah, it is. It's who you know. I appreciate that. And 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 life is really short, and you're gonna need a lot of energy. And uh, you know, it's. It, it, you know, you're, you're not going to know it's an opportunity until after the fact. Right. <laughs> Just kind of have to keep plowing forward and, and, and don't worry about the nose, you know, <laughs> don't worry about making the right turn or the left turn. Just uh, do it. The only time I ever really had to sit down with my folks uh, is that magazine that I created. I was doing so well that I had an angel investor come to me and say, I'm going to give you a shit ton of money, but <laughs> you, you know, for this magazine. And, but, Part of it is that you have to be the publisher for the next five years. 
and um, you know, to run this thing. Cause I really think this could be as big as entertainment weekly or whatever the hell he was thinking. And, and I, it, it was enough money where I went, Ooh, I got to think about that. And my parents said, what do you want to do? You want to be a filmmaker or you want to be a publisher? And right there I went filmmaker. I turned it down and, and, and went the path of filmmaker because that was all I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I, but I, I could be the head of a publishing empire of magazines that don't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> well, um, I've, I've taken up enough of your time. Where, um, where would you send people? Because I give this opportunity to anybody I talk to on the show or whatever. I'm going to send them. You show me your shit wherever you want them to go. If I had to tell them somewhere, but I'm going to let you tell them somewhere to go to buy something from you, to watch something from you? What can we do to help boost that economy for the asylum so that y'all can continue giving me movies to watch? Where would well, you send them? I appreciate that. Uh, you know, I, I don't have an easy answer for that because I'd say, look, try and find us on the, on the AVOD stations, the Roku, the, the Tiva, uh, Tubi, the Voodoo, the Pluto. Uh, that's always fun. Uh, and, you know, the more hours watched is, is always a good thing. It get you know, boosts our numbers up. So we like it. I'm not trying to, you know, boost up the number, whatever it is. I mean, you know, I think you'll have a fun time with that more than anything else. Um, outside of that, you know, you can always get a hold of me on Twitter. Um, I'm pretty active on that. I'm not as active on Instagram, although I should be, but, uh, uh but Twitter, me and the president, we, 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 we tweet a lot. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, and that's it. David M. Latt. Outside of that, you know, it's it's all good. Groovy. Well, you don't hang up just yet. I'm going to hang up on everybody else so I can actually <laughs> give you the formal goodbye. But that has been, I don't know if this has been an episode of Monsters, Madness, and Magic as much as it's just been Daniel fanboying out and just totally nerding out with the head honcho. Well, not the head honcho. He corrected me on that. Mr. David Latt, I have been chatting with him from the asylum. You know him. You love him. If you don't, then you need to watch Asylum Flicks. And if you're still on the fence about that, you need to look up the uh, Mockbuster Summer that I have done with The Bottom Rack. You need to, or you just need to go look up old archived episodes of The Bottom Rack because you'll find Asylum Flicks scattered throughout all of those episodes. There are myriad. We have a lot in the anal, annals. Anal, I have a lot in the library. So uh, anyway, thank y'all very much for watching and I'll holler at y'all later.